Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Juliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. The children of those that weren't willing to face their giants, just just think about that for a little while. So the parents weren't willing to face them, so they left the job for their children. What you are not willing to face, your children will have to face. So don't back away. Defeat these giants. Defeat these nations. Because God is with you. Everybody say, God's with me. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Come on. God wants you to live in victory. So in in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, he's Moses speaking to the second generation because the promised land is in front of them. The giants are between them. And these things are intimidating. Absolutely. Has anybody been intimidated? I'm I'm the first to put up my hand. And, And the intimidation is powerful when we look at the intimidator instead of who's with us it's just an amazing thing when God is with us and the power that he does in our lives and this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you I love this the Lord casts them out the Lord does the hard lifting the Lord does the hard work Cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. What we've been doing is that we've been looking at these seven nations and how they relate to us in our age. And we've said that each one of these seven nations, the seven giants, the seven spirits, and they represent something that we're facing. So the first one we looked at was the Hittites. And they represent the spirit of fear. And the way that you overcome fear is with boldness and faith. Amen? Can anybody say that? And so, and so God wants us to operate in boldness and faith, not in fear. The, the second one was the Girgashites. And the, the Girgashites represent the spirit of worldliness, this giant of worldliness. And, and God wants us to be a people of purity, that, uh, that we're not profane people that are, that are into carnality or in the world, but we're a holy people that are separated unto God, people that love purity. How many of you love purity? It's just, who loves to be clean? I love being clean. It's a wonderful thing. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. And then we looked at the Amorites, and they represent the spirit of pride, this giant of pride, and and it's uh, such a a big giant that wants to confront us, and we overcome this giant through humility. What a wonderful thing it is to be people of humility that understand that God wants us to be humble. And then last week, we looked at the Canaanites, and they were the merchants, they were the traders, and and they, they were the ones that traded to make themselves rich. And we looked at how materialism, mammon, wants to get into our lives and how subtle materialism and mammon is, especially here in our very prosperous nation. And the way we overcome that is just by being generous, generosity. What a wonderful word generosity was. And what a great testimony for little Jesse. Don't you think that's a great... What, what a 
incredible life lesson for him. He gave away 50% of what he owned and then God gave it back to him, pressed down, shaking together, running over in his lap. How old is Jesse? Eight years of age, a life lesson for Jesse. Well, this week we're going to look at the parasites. Everybody say the parasites. What do the parasites represent? Well, parasite, the parasites were the people who dwelt in the open. They were people that came from unwalled villages. They had no boundaries. They just moved around where it pleased them, when it pleased them. They never built cities with big walls and big boundaries. They were people that had no absolutes, no restraints in their lives. And what this represents is the spirit of disobedience, the spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of rebellion. Because where there is no restraint, we all do what's right in our own eyes. Where there are no walls, where there are no boundaries, where there's no right or wrong, then we just do what pleases us. And guess what? We are living in a generation very similar to the parasite spirit. We just do what's right in our own eyes. You know, as long as we're not hurting anybody, that becomes the one and only rule. But there's no understanding of what God's rules are and what God's laws are. The Bible has a lot to say about rebellion and rebelling against God. And, and rebellion is at the root of everything that God calls sin. And, um, and sin is simply disobeying or rebelling against the will of God. See, see how, how many of you love God? How many of you want to live in heaven forever and ever? You know, there's only one rule in heaven. Did you know that? There's only one rule. There's only one culture, one rule in heaven, and that's thy will be done. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was teaching people to pray. There's only one rule in heaven, and that's thy will be done. And, and so we've got to get used to that right now. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What you want is what I want. And rebellion is simply not doing God's will. And, uh, and that's how sin entered the world. Sin entered the world by simply, you know, and again, you know, God did not give Adam and Eve Ten Commandments. He just said, just one rule. See that tree? Don't eat of it. Just one rule. They couldn't even keep one rule. And they rebelled against the one thing that God asked them not to do. And sin entered the world. Do you know that this giant of rebellion actually teams up with other giants? And they actually attack you as a pack or as a team. This is, so, so you think about this for a little while. Okay, so Lucifer is in heaven. And uh, he submitted to the giant of pride. You know, I will ascend. I will. Remember that we were talking about that? But then with the giant of pride, they teamed up with the giant of rebellion. And he led a rebellion against God and took away a third of the angels. How many of you know that? Same. So, so what happens is that, is that this, this giant of rebellion will always attack you in cahoots with another giant. It might be the giant of fear. How many of you have backed down from the will of God because you were too afraid to step out? 
How many of you, you know, you, God's asking you to do something, but the giant of fear comes up and, and you back away because fear has blocked you. But then rebellion holds hands with fear and you don't realize, wow, we've just gone against what God has asked us to do. So not only have we been afraid, but we've also rebelled against the will of God. Oh, can I tell you that, that uh, rebellion, we kind of see it as this huge, big monster, but it's so subtle. So every time you say no to God, you're rebelling. Oh, yeah, but I thought rebellion, rebelliousness was, was a big, you know, jumping up and down and, you know, fire coming out of our mouth and steam coming out of our nostrils. And no, rebellion sometimes can be so subtle. Yeah. Rebellion can, can, can be as subtle as just choosing second best rather than first best. We as Christians can be living in, in, in Christian circles and still be rebelling because when God speaks to us and says, do that, and we say, no, we're rebelling because it's doing anything against the will of God. You know, the fact is that there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17. It's the story of Saul. And, uh, and Saul was chosen by God to be king, but he just kept disobeying God. And, and, and actually, his disobedience was almost seen as spiritual. And so one of his disobediences was sacrificing to God. And you say, how can that be rebellion? Because he wasn't supposed to. He was the king of Israel, not the priest of Israel. And the priest was supposed to do the sacrifice, but out of his pride, he sacrificed. And, and when, when Samuel, the prophet, came and says, what have you done? Why have you disobeyed God? And he says, but, but I did a good thing. I sacrificed. You did a wrong thing. How many of you know that sometimes good things are not God things? And how many of you know that sometimes we kind of think that a good thing is not rebellious? When in actual fact, one of the greatest temptations for us Christians is to revert to good things rather than God things. And good things are as rebellious as bad things, but we don't see it as... Re How many of you are getting this? How many of you are getting this? Because, because that, that good thing that he thought that he did was actually a rebellious thing and God took away from Saul the kingdom of Israel, and he gave it to David. Why is that? Because God was looking for a man whose heart was after God. He says, I found a man whose heart is after me, who was willing to obey me. Luke chapter 6, you get into the New Testament. And, and in Luke chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 7, these two verses, here it is, here's a good thing. Lord, Lord. How many of you know, well, hey, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, that's the beginning, but then you've got to add to that something else. What's that? Obedience. Bible says in Luke 6.46, And why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Then in Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What? But, but surely if you say, Lord, surely if you say Jesus is Lord, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, nah, nah, there's got to be something else. Well, what else? You've got to do the will of God. You've got to be walking in obedience. And obedience is 
is the thing that I want to spend most of this message talking on. Because rebellion comes, I believe, out of poor God concepts. Disobedience. And so if you're struggling with obeying the voice of God right now, it's because you've got a, a poor God concept. And the God concept that you have is God's wanting to withhold from me rather than bless me. And so, so if you've got a poor God concept, then rebellion and disobedience will always be there. And that's how the enemy works. He works through poor God concepts. That's how he worked with Eve. Poor concept. God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit, you'll be as wise as he is. He's withholding. He's withholding from you. And rebellion will actually give you the upper hand. Because God doesn't want you to have the odds. What a bad God concept is as if God doesn't want us to be blessed and as if God doesn't want the best life for us. A good, con- a good God concept says, God has my best at heart. And whatever's coming my way, God's got the best plan for me. And obedience will always lead me to the best plan. Come on, let's, let's get into overcoming, overcoming rebellion with obedience. Obe- everybody say obedience. Oh, how beautiful is obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice, is what Samuel said to Saul. You're sacrificing, but God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. And so obedience is the key to blessing. Can I tell you that? You need to write that down in big letters. Obedience is the key to blessing. And towards the end of Deuteronomy, he's he's Moses speaking to the second generation. And he's basically saying... Your parents, they're a bunch of no-hopers. They just died out because of disobedience. They just they all died out in the desert. But now you can actually do what your parents weren't able to do, obey God. And then in Deuteronomy 28, he tells them the blessing of obedience. The first 14 verses are how God's going to, if you obey, God's going to do this. God's going to bless you in the country. God's going to bless you in the city. Just obey, obey, obey. But if you don't obey these curses are going to come your way. Rebellion, disobedience will bring your worst life. Obedience will bring your best life. How many of you want the best life? It's found in obedience. You've got to get this. You've got to get this. And you've got to get the concept that goes with it. Obedience is the essence of discipleship. See, grace is the essence of conversion. And I I love grace. How many of you know that we love grace? Where people... That was saved by grace. And that's the essence of conversion. You're saved by grace. But grace isn't the essence of discipleship. Obedience is the essence of discipleship. And when Jesus commanded his disciples to go make disciples in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe. Be focused on everything that I've commanded you. It's connected to obedience. Discipleship is about obeying God. And, but obedience has to come out of right God concepts. Because if they come out of God, wrong God concepts, we're always fighting obedience. You know, it's like, why would you fight obedience if you know it's the best path? Why would you fight it if, if, if you... Fully understand that to obey God will bring you your best life. Not second or third or fourth, but numero uno. The very best life possible. 
Can I talk to you about three different types of obedience? It's fascinating because we can obey or we can obey. How many of you know that? We can obey or we can obey. Because there's different types of obedience. Can I talk to you about three different types of obedience? First type of obedience is the obedience that's connected to legalism. And the scribes and Pharisees, that's where their obedience was connected. It was connected to legalism. And the objective is, I have to do what I must do. But legalism doesn't touch the heart. Legalism... It just basically says, what do I have to do? And then I'll work out the rest. Legalism. So, so get this. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. Fascinating scripture. Because these legalists would tithe. Get hold of this. They would tithe on mint, anise, and cumin. We're talking about little seeds. Can you imagine... You know, how many of you have got mint plants at home? They, they, they spread like they're weeds, exactly. They just, they're all over the place. Can you imagine trying to work out a tithe of your mint leaves? Or cumin, which are just seeds, just, you know, just little things. And, but, they, but they were so legalistic that they would tithe on the smallest the smallest thing. How many of you say, well, mate, they must be holy if they tithe on mint. That's really, that's an, that is an example of holiness there, tithing on mint. Wow. I don't think I've ever tithed on mint. Can I be honest? I don't think I ever have. But Jesus rebukes them because he said, man, your legalism hasn't touched your heart. You've neglected the weightier things like justice and mercy and faith. See, legalism doesn't touch the heart. It basically says, okay, God's the judge. And if he's the judge, he's going to judge me. And so what are the rules? What are the regulations? And I'll live by the rules and regulations. Man, I tell you, if you're going to obey through legalism, you'll never be free. You'll always be bound. Because legalism actually comes from a Latin word, Relegare, which means to bind up. To bind up. And what happens if you're going to live under the law, under legalism, you're never going to be free. You're going to be bound up. And because you're bound up, it doesn't touch your heart. Let me tell you the second way we can obey. And this is the one that I've probably struggled with most of my life. And it's, it's obedience through responsibility. So it's not legalism, it's responsibility. And um, I think if you're firstborn or pastor or have uh, a position of authority, this is a big one that you've got to battle with because what happens with obedience through responsibility is that you're focusing in on the need to please. You're focusing in on you know, having to do the right thing because you're an example. And uh, you know, I've I've battled with that my whole life. You've you got to imagine that I was 21 when I became a pastor. And it was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm responsible to, to set an example. And, you know, then I became, with Ann, senior pastors at 24 years of age. And we had most of the people older than us. And so, and so this obedience through responsibility becomes a big deal. But, but can I tell you that it's also got traps associated with it? Because when you're responsible... 
and you see people around you irresponsible, you become incredibly critical of the people around you that are not as responsible as you are because you expect every... Classic illustration of this is Martha. How many of you know Martha's obedience was through this whole thing of responsibility? She's, you know, doing the house, the whole thing, serving, running around, you know. And, and there's Mary, my sister Mary. And all she's doing is worshiping, dancing in the spirit, that sort of thing. And here I am, busting my boilers, irresponsible and critical. How many, how many, don't, don't put up your hands, but how many people tend to be towards the Martha, the obedience through responsibility? And, and can I just say that I've had to, I've had to work through that because if you're, if, you're, if you're coming from this angle, you're missing out on a lot of, on a lot of revelation. See, your, your responsibility actually blocks revelation which is what happened with the older brother in the prodigal son story. Remember the, the prodigal son story? The older brother was Mr. Responsible, obeying the father. He never, he never left the house. He always did what the father did. But there was so much for him to enjoy that he never enjoyed because he was so busy obeying that he never got the full revelation of the heart of the father. You never gave me a coat. You never gave me a party. You never. But son, it was here all along. It was here for you. You were just too busy. You were too focused on responsibility and not enough on relationship. Wow, I'm telling you, when I was preparing that, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, John, get a bit more into relationship and less into responsibility. And you find that your responsibility will go to another level when relationship goes to another level. You say, well, okay. So we've seen obedience through, through, through legalism, obedience through, through uh, responsibility. What's the third one? Oh, this, this is where we all need to be. And it's obedience, which is connected to love. It's, it's obedience connected to love. You know, what, you know what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15? It says, if you love me, if you love me, what does it say? It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Is that what it says? But you know what's interesting? When you study the actual Greek text, the original text, it doesn't say that at all. It actually, this is what it says. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's like, if you love me, this will be a natural follow one. Can you see that? And you know, honestly, it's only while I was researching this, this, this message that it just dawned upon me because, okay, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's like, this is the responsibility. If you love me, you have a responsibility. Keep my commandments. And actually, Jesus was saying, no, no, if you love me, the overflow of love will be that you'll automatically obey me because it's a manifestation of love. I've been a pastor for 37 years. And this was the first time that this dawned on me that, that that's right, absolutely right, that the manifestation, the evidence of you being in love with Jesus is that, is that you just want to align yourself with him. If you really love somebody, you not only want to align, but you just want to be close to them. 
so, so get hold of this. If you love somebody, you don't have to, well, someone's commanding you to worship. Man, if you love somebody, of course you're going to worship Jesus. It becomes the overflow. Love, you know, can I just say to you that if you're not worshiping, then, then you know, I don't want to be saying, come on, you've got to worship. Come on, you've got to worship. You've got to worship. And let's, more music. More, more. No, no. Can I just say to you that if you're not worshiping, you need to fall in love with Jesus. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, worship will be an overflow of your love. And so will obedience. And so will keeping away from sin. Man, man if you love Jesus and your focus is Jesus, you, you've got your back. You've got your back on sin. You know, it's a, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. What are the words to that? No turning back. And then it says, what this? The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. See, when, 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 when you focus it on Jesus, when your eyes are on Him and you're pursuing Him with passion, you're not going to be going back into sin and unrighteousness. And so this is the problem with, oh, yeah, but, but the world, this, this, that. No, no, your problem is that you're too focused on what's behind you instead of what's in front of you. Jesus, when you see Jesus, everything just becomes so different. Let me finish this morning. My time is up. Oh, my goodness, my time is up. Come, come on up, Sophia. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. To judge the world. But he sent his son into the world to save the world. So even when Jesus came, his focus was not condemnation and judgment. His focus was salvation. And salvation connected to love. Because the previous verse says, for God so loved. And I think sometimes we just, we just don't get the depth of the revelation of God's love for us. And you know what, for me, the deepest theology in the whole Bible regarding the love of God comes from the story of the prodigal son. I, I just, when I read that story, I am flabbergasted. Because it's Jesus telling the story about his dad. And, and I know with a lot of us, we make the prodigal son the focus of the story. But when I hear it, it's not the prodigal son that's the focus of the story. It's dad. That's the focus of the story. And I get so moved when I see a God of compassion, a God of love. He saw his son at a great distance coming out of the pig pen probably still covered in the stench of pigs. But the Bible says that when he saw him still a long way off, he ran towards him, fell on him, moved with compassion, in 
embraced him. The son couldn't even get the words out. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Please. I couldn't even get the words out. Come on. Bring the best robe. Bring the ring. Bring the sandals. The fatted calf. Come on. Let's say our son has come back home. But hang on here. He's got to get on his knees and has to go through every single sin that he's ever committed. He never mentioned the fact. Father, please forgive me. I've been with prostitutes. Never said that. But you know who brought that up? The obedient, responsible elder brother. Very critical. Father, don't you know that he's been with prostitutes? Don't you know that he squandered all your wealth? Don't you know? And there's the list of all the sins. And he's the father. No list of sins. Just a heart of forgiveness. You know, seriously, I just get so moved with that. I get so moved with that, that it's the love of God that draws us. It's the love of God, not the fear of God, which incidentally is better translated reverence of God. It's the compassion and the mercy and the kindness of God that draws us, that draws us. And if you want to beat that rebellious spirit, that parasite giant, you won't beat it by just putting your fists up and trying to punch it out. You beat it by just falling in love with Jesus and obeying Him. Just those, those two things. You just fall in love with God afresh and just, not my will, but your will be done. And that thing starts screaming, No, you found the secret to my defeat. No, I've been causing people to rebel for millenniums. I even caused Lucifer to rebel in heaven. I beat the best. I want to beat you. That pastor told you the secret to my defeat. I don't want you to know that loving Jesus and pursuing the will of God destroys me. I'm giving you the secret to destroying that giant of rebellion. Love God and pursue the will of God. And this thing will come down like a sack of potatoes. It'll come down like a thump. You won't have to fight with it any longer. You just Matter of fact, he gets so upset that you turn your back to it and say, I'm just pursuing Jesus. I'm just following the will of God. I'm doing what? But, but I'm the rebellious spirit that just wants to give you fun. No, my fun is found in Jesus. But don't you understand that I've got a better way for you? No, I've discovered that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But don't you want to have all the things that I've got to offer you? No, I've discovered that my wisdom is limited, but his wisdom is unlimited. And I know this, that what God wants for me is above and beyond beyond anything that I could ever ask or think. And I just know that when I pursue God, He'll take me to the promised land. He'll take me to the blessings of God. And I will live like a champion having defeated the giants for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend. More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au.
On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Anne Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge.